0: You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit Pathoflovecenter.com. Hi, I'm Kat.
1: Hi, I'm Marcus. We're the host of Path of Love Podcast. Today on Path of Love, we're talking with David Youngren about the search for freedom from chapter one of his book, Awakening to I Am Love.
0: So David, it's so good to see you and to hear from you, and I'm excited to have this conversation. The first time um, that you, this is the first time I read your book, and I love the part that you start out with about the colorless tiger that was held captive in a zoo.
1: Let me summarize the story. It started out by David speaking about a tiger in a zoo that was colorless. This tiger was known as a black and white tiger because It's color just seemed to fade away. There were so many painters that would come every so often and paint that tiger so many gorgeous, beautiful colors. But it just lasted for a period of time. It would fade back to black and white again and be known as the colorless tiger. Until one day, one painter came along and just painted in the air, whispered things in the tiger's ear. It said, In a few days, you'll be free. Seeing how sad the tiger had been in captivity and how the prospect of freedom had brightened its day, the zookeeper took the tiger to the jungle where it would never again lose its color. Oh, I love that story. Yes, it's amazing.
0: I never heard that as a child.
1: I never heard that either.
0: But I love it.
1: Let's talk
2: with David. Hi David. Hey David. Hi. How you guys doing? Doing,
0: good. doing very well, thank you. Good
2: to see you. Well, good to see you too. I must confess that I I don't remember that story from a uh, from childhood either, but I thought when I wrote that first chapter that it would somehow or another capture the essence of what the chapter is about in that uh We all want to be free. There is a longing in every person for freedom. And that's why the chapter, of course, is called In Search of Freedom, because all of us have this desire to live free. Thankfully and gratefully, we're not kind of sitting in a zoo somewhere, in a cage in a zoo, but many people, I think, are living within the confines of their thoughts and a lot of times negative thought patterns. And it's like in... Escapable cage. They're living inside within their thoughts and they're never able to be free from the fear, from the anxiety, from the worry, from the, you know, from jealousy, from panic, from unease and all those other emotions connected with fear. But there is a way to freedom. And I guess that was the point of the story.
1: So I have a question. What is the definition of freedom?
2: Freedom is a state of being where you are neither imprisoned nor enslaved. You know, when your inner being is free, then you're free from all these toxic emotions, you know, that so many people struggle with. That's really what I'm talking about when I refer to frame, to, to be free from all the thoughts that somehow or another are crippling that causes so much stress and confusion in a person's life
0: i like when we find ourselves trapped in our own head, as you put it, and you we're held hostage um, to all those toxic, negative thoughts. It makes us not feel free.
2: And you guys will know this as well, uh, Marcus and Catherine, you, you guys know that so many people today are really struggling. They're, I mean, d- during COVID, we've seen this even more that people are stuck at home and they're struggling with all kinds of negative thoughts. They've been afraid. And you know, there's a lot of reasons for why people are afraid today. There's no freedom in a way. We are like that uh, colorless tiger. We look for freedom, but the reason why we are not showing off the colors of our true self, the reason why we are only you seeing the gray, the grayness of life, the darkness of life, is because we have not been set free to the point where we recognize who we truly are. Do you
1: believe that you spoke of COVID and us being sitting in homes, some people in quarantine, seeing the negativity in the world and the things that are happening all around many people, does that cause them not to be able to have
2: free thoughts? The problem is that since childhood we have been conditioned we have been conditioned with this unconscious egoic pattern and this egoic pattern is essentially based on i am not enough so all our life we're seeking to be good enough we're seeking to be smart enough we're seeking to be recognized enough we're you know somehow or another to be enhanced to be seen to to be superior to others to stand out in the crowd we're all looking for these things because deep inside there is this inner ache i'm not enough the way i am what happens it becomes a person's identity so then it becomes like you're you're trapped in this negative thought pattern so covid is just like a it's just a symptom it's not really the problem. It's it's just a symptom to a deeper problem. So you stated in the
1: book, when you're in, when your inner being is free, fear no longer holds you captive. Anxiety, worry, doubt, uh, um, apprehension, panic, um, jealousy, and all other emotions connected to fear are no longer controlling factors of your life. You are, Free from everything that stands in the way of love, happiness, peace, and meaning in life. Can you explain a little bit more on that? Because all of those factors are everyday things people walk through constantly, continuously. So how does someone search for freedom when those things are continuously being thrown at them like stones.
2: The, the whole entire book to some extent, and maybe when we do move on here to other chapters in the book, we'll I'll be able to ex- answer your question in a little more detail. Uh, because it is it is a is is an incredibly good question, Marcus. My whole premise is the whole premise of the book is that we need to awaken. We need you know the book is called Awakening to I Am Love, that your deepest and truest self. Your spirit or your consciousness, what I uh, refer to in the book as consciousness, pure consciousness, which is pure awareness, is unconditioned awareness. When you're just aware of something, for example, if you go outside and you just look at a tree and for a few moments you're just so absorbed into that tree that you have no other thoughts. You have no thoughts of fear. You have no thoughts of anxiety you are just mesmerized by the tree or you look at the sun as as it is setting you are mesmerized by the sun setting you're all the other thoughts somehow another they're not there you're not preoccupied and so the whole premise of what i'm trying to help people understand the book is that your heart or your emotions, there are things since childhood that we have been conditioned to see the world a certain way, and we have been conditioned by religion, we've been conditioned by politics, we've been conditioned by family expectations, we've been conditioned in school, we've been conditioned by race, nationality, we have all been conditioned to see ourselves in a certain way, and that has created an egoic pattern within us, which then seeks to enhance the sense of self, to stand out among others. In other words, to separate you from others. But what really the whole uh, the whole thing that I'm explaining in the book is that when we awaken, when we awaken to our deeper self, we we begin to experience a connection. We are aware of our oneness with one another, and that sets you free from all the fear and all those toxic emotions. So spirit,
1: spirituality is, is, and you mentioned this in your book, uh, what good is spirituality if it doesn't improve our lives and the whole world as a whole? I think that's a really big, big statement because it, I really believe that I mean, cause what, what good is it if, you're not getting any benefits out of it. And
2: what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have had the privilege of traveling around the world and being in many different countries, of course, as you know, and uh and I meet people from different backgrounds, you know. I met people from I met Muslims, I meet Buddhists, I meet Christians, I meet Catholics, I meet Protestants, I meet Hindus, I meet Sikhs, and then I meet people. From different political backgrounds and people from different political persuasions, nationality, races, I have met so many different people from different walks of life, and you think about it. let's say say for example, and I think I mentioned this in the book let's say, for example that you were an alien or you just woke up after a deep sleep, you had never met anybody before, and you know you just woke up and you didn't know anything about any of the religions of the world. you were not born a Christian, you were not born in a Christian country. Uh, you know, you were you were far away, removed from all of that and you just woke up and you had a hundred people gathered together from all walks of life and somehow or another, they all had different beliefs and they all came from different religious persuasions or political persuasions or whatever the case may be. They all came from different backgrounds and you were there and you begin to speak to each and every one of them and you were trying to learn more about the per, uh, different people you didn't know anything about the beliefs because you you were not raised. You have not conditioned to believe in, in uh, in Moses or Judaism or or in you know in in Islam or Christianity. You were not conditioned to see that world that way. So what would you do? Well, you will obviously seek out the person who has the most joy and love and freedom. That would be your deciding factor whether you would follow a person's beliefs like you wouldn't even care what they believed in the beginning you would actually want to say well this this person is really happy this person's really excited this person is so filled with love and compassion and joy i can't help but being around them i want to hear what they have to say right and i think that that's we have to realize that we all been born in different countries so when i come with my uh Christian gun or Muslim gun or Jewish gun. And I say, this is the way it is. You just have to believe this. Well, I believe I was raised in a Christian environment. So I am more inclined to believe the Christian version, but really, ultimately the point that I'm saying here is, is that if we truly want to analyze and find freedom, then we have to ask the bigger question, how, Has it changed my life? How does it change your life? And if it doesn't change your life, why should I believe any of it?
1: I have seen so many religious people, and I'm going to use that term, um, that I don't want to hang out with because (laughs) it's been more... of a stress situation, or it brings out more of your, your insecurities are toxic situations um, in your life. than hanging around somebody who's just fun and cool and happy and (laughs) just joyful. And, and, and you, you want to hang around somebody like you stated who, who brings out the joy in you, who brings out the happiness in you and brings out makes you feel like, you're just, you're free.
2: Yeah. Like you you want to ask, how is it working for you? You know, when someone comes and they just give you like this religious mm. verbiage or whatever. And when they, when they spill their, as someone said, religious vomit, you know, when they spill whatever they believe and they just tell you everything they believe, but they are sour, they're angry, they are whatever. I'm not going to believe that if if it doesn't work for you and you're trying to sell me something that's not working for you, why should I accept what you are telling me? You know, that's so, so true. So if you're going to find freedom, if you when you're searching for freedom, it has to set you free. Whatever spirituality, whatever we believe, if it doesn't set you free, what good is it? And if it doesn't make the world a better place, what good is it? If it brings more division and more hatred and more uh, war and crime and and murder and and all of that hostility between people, if that's the end result of my spiritual beliefs, well, obviously my beliefs are not very good.
1: It's like the door-to-door salesman, for an analogy, mm-hmm. who comes to try to sell you a vacuum cleaner and goes in there, plugs it in on your carpet and tries to suck things up, but it pushes more dirt back on the rug instead of actually sucking it up. I mean, that's how you feel at times with some of these situations.
2: Absolutely. That's a that's a really good illustration right there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) David, in your book, you say that many people want to be free, but few people want the truth. And you talked a little bit about the movie A Few Good Men and um, Jack Nicholson's character said you can't handle the truth.
2: You know, I don't can, know if you remember that. Uh, can you say it like that? Can you say it like that? I, I can't, can't say it like that. <laughs> that. You know, some some of our younger audience, they probably don't even remember that movie, but I, it was such a great movie. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I can't do it
0: like that.
2: I don't do a very good uh, Jack Nicholson <laughs> impression. But, but the point here is that most people don't want to hear the truth. Most people don't want to know the truth. And it's like what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But most people don't want to know the truth. Why? Because they already believe they know the truth. And it's easier to believe that whatever they've been told, whatever they've been conditioned to, however they've been conditioned to see the world, they just accept that as true. Because the moment that someone begins to question that, now their sense of self is um, diminished because most of us, our sense of self, especially if you come from a religious background, your sense of self is connected to your religion. So I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Jew, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, whatever. Your sense of identity is in that religion is what makes you feel you, you somehow or another you feel like my religion is better than your religion. You know, I'm not like. I remember the day I don't know if you remember this. You know, when we Protestants we would say, "Oh, the Catholics like they were somehow or another less than us." And I remember <clears throat> thinking, when I'm my little hometown in Sweden where I was raised, there were like five churches and they were all like Protestant churches, and we I kind of had them internally ranked in my mind, ours was the best and the other ones were a little further away from the truth, but mine was closer to the truth because that's how I wanted to believe because it made me feel better about myself. So it was rooted in this anxiety, this fear that somehow I'm not not enough. So if I can put other religions down, if I can put somebody else's belief system down, that's somehow another Subconsciously makes me feel better about myself. That somehow, or another, I am a little closer to God. I'm a little closer to the truth than other people are, and 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 that's so deceptive.
1: So, what about motivating reasoning? I mean, I know you said that in your book. That that kind of adds to what you are saying, and and we see this day and day out in social media. I mean, you scroll or you tap one thing, next thing you know. It's constantly putting those types of things in your mind and are on your feed or anything along those lines because they know that's what you're interested in. So it supports what you're interested in. So um, it, 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 it kind of snowballs into, you know, feeding into your likes and making you validate what you like are the things you like are, and then you see something you don't like, you skip over it and then you usually don't see it anymore and it doesn't show those types of things. So we see that in social media constantly, but it happens in people's lives. We we surround ourselves with people who have similar similar likes than us.
2: Motivated reasoning is kind of an interesting term. It's like, and I, I agree so much with what you're saying, Marcus. It's it's like social media is probably the best place to find this, especially nowadays but we are motivated to see the world a certain way. We are motivated to see and believe certain things. So when someone posts something that we kind of agree with on Facebook, we don't fact check them. We just share it with all our friends. And we say, oh yeah, this is what I believe. This is the truth. And But if there's something we disagree with, we kind of make sure we write something really nasty and kind of disagree with that person and and make our point very strongly, even though we may never check the facts. I don't know how many times, I don't know if you've seen this when you've been online on Facebook, for example, how many times I've seen people post something that if you actually fact checked it, you will immediately notice it's not true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But people, the people who posted it they actually wanted it to be true. And so you know, neuroscience is teaching us that the brain is wired that way, that we reject um we reject the complex truth in favor of a simple lie. And it's it's kind of fascinating when we think about it. We're more We look for people to affirm what we already believe because, as I said before, our sense of identity, who we believe ourselves to be, is rooted in our beliefs. And the moment that we are proven wrong, our sense of self is diminished. We feel less about ourselves. And there is nothing that we fear more than feeling less about ourselves, that we're not enough somehow.
1: But there's so many, and back to social media, there's so many People that can't agree with you, meaning you look at the like button and that like button is like it means everything to you, especially if you post something that's not factual. You have 50,000 likes validation. someone else and it validates you. It makes you feel validated. Um, So you don't seek the truth any longer. You just feel like what you said was true.
2: You, you're looking for likes. You're looking for validation. You're mm-hmm. looking... And that's what motivates us. So we're motivated to see this world a certain way. We're motivated to believe a certain way. We're motivated to have people agree with us. And and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of an interesting world we're living in. That is, that's for sure. And we've seen it more now, I think, in the last few years than ever before. We have.
0: I think it's important that as people, we learn to discerned facts and, and look up things and do more research to figure out what's right.
2: Yeah, no question about it, but I don't think most people are not inclined to do that. Right. No, and it brings us back
1: to the us versus them type of thing. So us versus them, and it's like from everything, from race, from black to white, from um, uh, who you should marry or not marry, from LGBTQ issues, from um, all types of, um, uh, you know, from the Americans versus the Russians, from all, like, it's always a versus type of thing instead of just understanding or knowing somebody. Because when you really get to know someone, you you see their you struggles, see their struggles yeah. are not much different than yours.
2: That is that is such a great point because I think so many people, we are afraid of what is different than us. And we all wanna belong. We all wanna be part of something, right? And so we all wanna be part of our tribe. We look for our tribe for people who are like us and subconsciously we then interpret people like us to be a little superior to others, to be better than others, to be more enlightened to whatever whatever it is, is like, you know, the book, the caste system or the caste, whatever. I mean, it kind of, we all look for things that some other makes us stand out. So often we will find it in our group. We find it in our religion. We find that in our political party, we find that in our race. So we find that some or another, it makes us feel better about ourselves. So then it creates us versus them. And so then we kind of make them into evil, someone terrible, someone is wrong. We, we kind of have this continuum of good and evil. So at one end, the God or the good of whatever we think is the greatest good, whether it's money, whether it's our way of seeing things, whether it's our uh, nationality, whether it's our race, whatever it is, whatever we consider the greatest good, we kind of place ourselves pretty close to the front of that. And then we have all the rest of the people who are unlike us behind us. And that makes us feel better about ourselves. And that mindset is more than just kind of a uh, something s- simple. It's, it's so ingrained in our subconscious that we're not even aware of it. It creates this us versus them. Marketers, I, I remember this when I was studying marketing. that, And if you want to succeed in marketing, Make sure you throw rocks at at your uh, group's enemy because that's a way to get people to follow you. So, you know, just tell people how terrible, if if you're Republican, tell people how terrible the evil the Democrats are and vice versa. Speak that kind of language demonize the other, make them into the enemy, because it somehow or another alleviates our own insecurities and the way we feel about ourselves and makes us feel better about ourselves. Well, even if my life is a mess, at least the group that I'm part of is a superior group.
1: I mean, you have that with gangs. I mean, you have gangs that are against each other um, and they it's us versus them or them versus whoever. And But you feel comforted because you surround yourself with just that group that's taking care of you, that's their family, that's the ones that will list their lives for you, they'll do anything for you, but the other people are the enemies so it allows people in that neighborhood or in that hood to be like, I want to, I want to be a part of this because they're growing, they're taking care of each other. That's family. You may have not grown up with like a father, or you may not have grown up with somebody in your home to show you that there's more out there. So it's all over the place.
2: It gives you a sense of power. It makes you. So then in the case of a gang, power is the greatest good. That's the highest virtue and it gives you more power to be part of this group you may have a gun you may have money because you're selling drugs whatever Mm -hmm. so it makes the person then validated so if if you were raised in the the family in a good family in a loving family with a father and, and mother well then the family will probably be the ultimate that that might be the greater good so then you'll have less of a problems in that way but but for a child that is deeply longing to just belong, to be part of something, to feel secure, to feel better about themselves, then gravitate to whatever it is that's gonna make them somehow or another uh, feel better about themselves.
1: So do you feel that, and you said a child wants to feel the belonging and those types of things of being feeling belonged, feeling loved. Do you feel that in a search for freedom, in the search for love, it starts at a, a very young age? Is it something that you can teach your kids? Is it something that you have to
2: discover? If you look at your early childhood, I would say within the first couple of years of life you are essentially programmed to earn love by your own performance so rather than just awakening to love which is really the very essence of the book awakening to that deepest part within you i almost believe that in when you first are born you're so full of joy you are just filled filled with life you're already kind of aware of that but then you come in contact with people and then you notice that in order for you to be loved you gotta you you know you can't be so loud you you gotta um uh, you gotta be nice to your brother you gotta there's all these conditions that we have been programmed with since early childhood and the more dysfunctional the family is, the more we re- harder time we had to actually be loved by our parents. They were always away, or they they beat us or they or or you know they spanked us or they sh- screamed at us. And that created a sense of fear. and And the child internalized that and feeling like I am not enough, the reason why they treat me this way because a child interprets reality from an egocentric point of view. They think that, you know, they think that uh, the son follows them, so they always blame themselves. If a parent is angry, if a parent shouts at them, if the parent is not there for them, if the parent is abusive, they blame themselves, and this creates this um, even more longing for for love, and they they try to be loved. And so then you kind of join a group or whatever, whatever it will be, whatever it takes for us to be loved is, is, is basically the subconscious narrative of our life. We pursue whatever somehow or another is going to earn us the acceptance and the approval that we d- desperately are looking for.
0: You know, David, you talked about, you know, childhood emotional and traumatic experiences um, make children fearful. How do you go from being fearful to feeling free?
2: And here is, for me, and and you know, I I come from the, you know, was raised a Christian, and 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 um. And I always thought truth was a religious belief. I always thought, you you know, well, you just believe like this way. It was a mental concept. It was ideas. It was thoughts. If you believe this way, then, that's the truth. But. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And if I know a bunch of stuff about God, about Jesus, or whatever religion it is, I know a bunch of stuff, great dogma, great intellectual thoughts, but it doesn't make me free, then either Jesus is wrong or or there is something about truth that I have missed. So from all of that, I think it was, I tell the story in the book actually about how I was playing golf one time, and uh, I, I wanted to play by myself because we we were living in Canada at the time, and I, and I we were going through like this major decision in our life what we were going to do, and so I wanted to have just time alone to play golf. And so I asked the person when I arrived, they can I just play by myself? And says, and the guy said, well, there's nobody here, you go ahead. So I'm standing there on the first hole, which is about 500 yards in length, and I noticed at uh, you, you know, at the, at, at the end of the golf course, someone was just putting now on the green. And I thought, I'm going to take my time so I don't catch up to that person because I don't want to play with that person. <laughs> and so I, I played, I took like 10, whatever, 10, 50 minutes to play that first hole. And I arrived at the second tee box and um, and there the guy was sitting waiting for me. You couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away See, from it. it. here I try. wanted to be alone. I was like down to this spiritual kind of thing. Well, I need to be alone. I need to hear something like some great wisdom from God. You know, God's going to speak to me through the leaves or something like that. And, and and I had like these images in my head. And here this guy is there, so now I'm annoyed. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, he wants to play with me. And I don't want to play with him But what am I supposed to say, be rude and say, no, I don't want to play. So I thought, okay, well, I'll play. And then I said to myself, you know, this was back in the day when I was a preacher, kind of a, you know, one of those preachers who wanted to get everybody believing the same way as I did. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get him converted. And I started telling him everything I believed. And, you know, I can use the power of persuasion pretty good. So I was telling him and he seemed to be like, I thought he's not getting what I'm talking about. What I'm sharing is so good. Doesn't he get all my beautiful explanations of God and of Jesus, of Christianity and the way I believe? Can he not see that this is a superior faith to all other faith? <laughs> faiths? And, and, uh, and I couldn't get through to him, but there was something about the guy that so mesmerized me. He was so filled with love, peace compassion and he said you know i don't see the world exactly like you but he just had this inner peace about him he said i believe in in love and i believe in the god of love and and i believe on but that that's not the point he said i'm i'm just he says i don't necessarily have to see the world like you do and And I thought I failed. After that conversation, I failed. After 18 holes, I said, I failed. I didn't convert him, but I was feeling miserable inside. And I looked at this guy and I thought, he looks so happy. Why am I so miserable? And he's so happy. I'm the preacher and he is not. And then several years after that, I thought about it. I had made my religious beliefs into a mental idol. In other words, it was somewhat rooted in my own ego. I felt like, oh, I know more than you do. I have the truth. But I never took the time to actually understand that maybe somebody else who has not been raised the way I have been raised see the world differently. Who am I to discount how they see the world? And what I began to realize through this whole process was that. Religion can point us to the truth. My beliefs can point us to the truth. They can also point us away from the truth. But it's not the truth in itself. And I begin to understand that truth in itself is awakening to that infinite presence, the presence within you, the presence that permeates with love. There is this inner presence that permeates with love that I that when I began to meditate in two thousand and six, when I began to meditate, I began to discover this inner freedom that, over years of just meditating on love and grace and peace, divine love as I begin to just I, I became so aware of this presence and that is beyond thoughts, beyond my intellect, beyond my religious ideas, my pedigree and and my egoic thought patterns. It's beyond all of that. It's just pure presence, pure awareness within. Have
1: you ever, and this is another one of my analogies, but it's not really an analogy, but it's, it's to what you're saying that presence. Catherine and I have been to a place called the mirror woods. The mirror woods are giant redwood trees, huge redwood trees in San Francisco. When you walk down a path of trail where you have giant redwood trees on the left and the right of you that are bigger than houses, taller than skyscrapers, hundreds of feet in the air, and you're surrounded by such gorgeous beauty and presence, you have an awareness of yourself that is unlike any other. It's something that just grounds you and puts you in a place where you never think about what happened yesterday, what's happening now, or what's happening later. You're just thinking about what's happening.
2: You're just aware, right? You're just, You're just aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if
1: someone has not experienced that, just being aware, it's a feeling that you, it's indescribable. And it's something that you don't, you're not, you don't have worry. You don't have care. You don't have, what am I going to do tomorrow? You don't think about the, the, the burdens in your body. Is that the type of thing you're, you're speaking of?
2: Absolutely. You got to write on because you're not, know, we'll get into this in, 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 in future episodes and some of the other chapters when we talk about them, but yeah, that's exactly it. You know, it's interesting in, in in biblical text. It says, "In God we live and move and have our being." Think about that. Just think about the logic of that. In God we live and move and have our being, which means that God, whatever we, however we define that, but to me, what makes sense according to science is that there is this consciousness. Consciousness is at the root of. I mean, without consciousness, there is no creation, right? Uh, You know, what comes first, you know, scientists are debating what comes first, life or consciousness or, and and so it seems kind of odd that somehow another creation creates consciousness. It seems more realistic that consciousness is what creates life or creates reality. And so what I personally came to realize was that the, the very core essence of the universe is this presence that we're all part of. And so when you go out there and you let go, when you go into the redwoods or whatever, when you go into into the woods and you, you stand out there, you're just so aware. You're aware of your own awareness and you're aware of kind of this transcending presence that permeates all things. And that is the truth. That in itself is the truth because that's the moment you're free, right? You're free. As you said, you're no longer thinking about the problems you had yesterday. You're not no longer thinking about the bills you got to pay tomorrow. You're just present. You're free from the fear, from the anxiety, from the worry. Why? Because you have awakened to your deepest and truest self, pure awareness, which in my mind, which the point that I make in the book is awakening to God's very presence in you. So in,
1: in closing, and I know we have spoken for a little bit of time, and I I want to quote something that you said in the book, and it's, but the truth that sets us free is not a belief system, but a state of awareness of presence. It's a consciousness that is not grounded in your thinking mind, but in your true self. That is the one. That is one with God. Love is the fabric of substance of this union. That kind of sums up exactly what you were just
2: just saying. Yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to feel like it was, that better, all the it time. was
2: better written than what I said it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <No. laughs> you're always so eloquent
1: when you speak. And, so and it and it it just it you you kind of with this chapter or this one chapter, it kind of brought me back to the Mirror Woods. And I know right now we're just on chapter one, so I'm just parking in the parking lot right now. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, taking that stroll down the rest of the chapters with you and discovering uh, and awakening at myself to, I am love.
2: Mm-hmm. You can you imagine too when when we begin to feel when we come to that place of presence, we no longer judging others. If you're just aware, so if I'm aware of you, I'm aware of Catherine and Marcus, and I'm aware of anybody who I meet. You just you're just aware of them. You you you're no longer judging them. You're no longer putting them in a bracket where you are, where you belong on this egoic uh, you know. Uh, continuum of good versus evil, good and evil. You just kind of aware of them. There is like, there's just the sense of oneness. Right. And to me, that's a way, that's a path of love as we talk about in this is, which is the name of this podcast, the path of love is to come to that point where you realize your union with all things that separation is just an illusion that you're really one with god and one with one another because th- that same presence that is in you is also in me and that is in everyone can you imagine what happens with all our problems of race all our problems of nationality and all of that when you begin to wake into that reality it, it's it's uh, certainly hope for the world right
1: it is and we wouldn't be in some of the situations that we're in as a nation right now Um, or even a world right now. If people would be aware of just be aware, (laughs) you you, you seem like you want to have the the thing about that statement is you want to add something after being aware, but you don't have to add anything. It's just being aware.
2: Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Exactly. Can you imagine if you just a little more time just being aware. Start small, even if it's just, uh, you know, once a day, by just continuing that kind of awareness.
1: You're absolutely correct. Well, I enjoyed this chapter. I really did. The search of freedom, or search for freedom, I apologize. Um, and it, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the next chapter brings us
2: well we're going to talk about love i think in the next chapter so we'll talk about that next time and the more we go actually a lot of people read the book okay in the first few chapters there's some more complex thoughts but you know we we kind of trying to in some ways for people to understand certain concepts but the more we move on it makes it more practical and make, becomes like oh yeah now i get this it's it's kind of a you know, it unfolds before you. So hopefully our listeners will feel the same way and hopefully you guys will feel the same way. And if not, that's okay too, life goes on. All right,
1: well, I wanna say thank you very much, David, for explaining this first chapter to us. And again, we look forward to uh, seeing what the next chapter has in store and uh, in the book, Awakening to I Am Love.
2: Thank you, Marcus and Catherine. Love you both very much. See you on the next chapter.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.